Smarties, we could not be more excited or more honored to welcome back Dr. Ellen Bratton. She is back to discuss her brand new book, Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less. She shares her thoughts on how motivation works and how motivation is not generated the same way each time. She talks about how parents need to look at their own expectations and look at their child and reconcile the two. She leads us in a fascinating discussion about aptitude, pleasure, and practice and how the definition of aptitude needs to be expanded beyond more than reading, math, and spelling. She further discusses how there isn't a treatment for laziness. And of course, we have an extensive discussion about that word and her thoughts on how quote unquote lazy is a symptom of something and a time to really listen. She also talks about how laziness and laziness is in quotes can mask something that's hard, shameful, or is a result of a lack of confidence. And then she introduces us to the word malaise. That's a really fun conversation too. We are so excited to welcome Dr. Bratton back. If you recall, we had Ellen Bratton month back in 2021, and we'll go ahead and link those episodes in the show notes. Be sure to listen next week too, because this is a two-parter conversation. And next week, we will chat more with her about the book and have a discussion about some other fascinating things like hidden failures. Also next week, we will be dropping our extended conversation with Dr. Bratton on Patreon. Patreon is the way that you can support the work that we do here at Learn Smarter Podcast by going to www.patreon.com slash learnsmarterpodcast. You can support the work that Steph and I are doing here on the podcast with a monthly donation. And as a thank you, you'll have access to all the previous extended conversations that we've had over the course of years here on this podcast. And that's a $5 a month donation. And if you want to be a $10 a month Patreon member, you get episodes a week early in addition to access to all those other goodies. So let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 252 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we have one of our favorites with us. Ellen Bratton is here. Hi, Ellen. Hi there. It's so nice to be here. Yay. It's so nice to have you back. And we're really excited because you have a new book. But before we dig into that, why don't we remind our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. So I am a clinical psychologist who specializes in neuropsychology. So uh, that means that I test kids who have learning differences and ADHD and developmental disabilities. And my research area has been in a lot of ways in processing speed, which is what I talked about the last time I was here. You know, my last book was called Bright Kids Who Can't Keep Up. And so a lot of what I've looked at is how processing speed interferes with learning, how it impacts our ability to take in information, get organized, what it does to our social relationships and family relationships. And as I worked with kids, I started having ideas for the second book. But before I get to that, I should also say that I work at Massachusetts General Hospital and I'm an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, too. So basically, you're just cool. Yes, I was like, um, just a couple of cool she things. She casually mentions Harvard. She's oh, like, I teach at a school in Boston. You guys are way too nice and way cooler than I am, by the way. 
So we've been excited that this book has been coming for a long time because I think you had told us privately the last time we hung out that this was the next book you were writing. And both Steph and I were like, yes, yes, this is the next book. So why don't you go ahead and introduce this book that has just come out? So we're getting you fresh on it. But why don't you share a little bit about the book, the new one? So it's called Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less. And Like I said, I was really immersed in the world of kids who take a long time to do things. They're my people, my kids. And what I was finding as they were growing up is a lot of them wound up looking like they didn't really care about much. I shouldn't say a lot. I should say some. And so I approached my editor with this idea in like 2019 about this book. Like, why don't we kind of look at kids who just seem to have this, we didn't have the right word for it, but malaise. I mean, we did have a not not a nice word for it. It was, it's supposed to be bright kids who couldn't give a you-know-what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our working title. And then they decided we just couldn't, the asterisks wouldn't go on the on the front cover. So anyway, so that was my idea. And then a pandemic happened, uh, as we might remember. So it seemed like not anybody was giving that much of a you-know-what. So a lot of us weren't caring very much at all. And so I sort of pivoted the book a little bit from sort of focusing on this one particular group of kids to writing a book that's a little bit more broader that really kind of applies to just motivation in general and finding pleasure and how we sort of get back on track. So the book really is written for those of us who work with kids who have trouble with motivation or completing tasks or sort of just look like they don't care anymore. But I also think, and I hope that there's enough in here too, for even all of us to kind of rethink, okay, so, you know, how do we find that pleasure that we lost? And how do we start caring more about stuff? Because I'm going to speak for myself and everybody I know, most of us came out of the pandemic not feeling like, you know, like we used to. And um, losing a lot of things at the same time. So extremely true. So yeah, I think starting with motivation is a great place for us to start. I know when before we hit record, I was like, Ellen, we're so in alignment. Because we hear all the time from families, my kid is lazy, they don't care. And what I shared is that our fundamental belief, which we preach on the podcast, and our listeners will have heard us say this before is we know it presents that way. But our job is to get curious and not punitive and start asking questions. Because if it was easy, they would do it because kids fundamentally want to please. So I would love to hear sort of your definition of motivation and what can get in the way of that. Yeah. I think one of the things we have to do is sort of, you know, think about motivation using some of the things that all of us learned in psychology, like intro psychology courses, that we're all motivated by different things at different times. So sometimes we're motivated by incentives, but incentives don't always work the best in every situation. Sometimes we're motivated because we're just good at something and we want to do more of it. Sometimes we're motivated because it kind of keeps us aroused or engaged, whatever we're doing. And sometimes we're just sort of instinctively motivated to do something. And I'm sort of, you know, distilling really complicated psychological 
theories into just a few sentences. But what I really want to say is there are lots of reasons why we're motivated and it's not the same all the time. And so it can be so hard when you see a child who lacks motivation or doesn't show the sort of interest in age appropriate activities or kids who don't finish what they start. So those kids who even start with good motivation and just lose it as they're doing it. As Steph says, they run out of gas in the tank. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And there are lots of reasons for that. And I should say too, but before we get into this, you know, there are other reasons other than just lack of motivation, we might see some of these issues. And you said it so perfectly that nobody wants to be lazy. None of us want to have a lack of motivation. It's the worst feeling in the world for all of us when we're unmotivated. We don't want to be there. And we've got to remember that about kids. But you know, sometimes it's other things too. It can be depression and lack of motivation can be a symptom of depression. It can overlap with depression. So we need to make sure that we've explored all of that if we have a child who has significant motivation problems. But what we're really talking about here, I think is not the, you know, significantly depressed child for that child, they need to be treated for their depression. What we're really talking about is that, you know, sort of child who is just having trouble sort of staying on track. So, you know, one of the things I talk to parents about is because you asked like define motivation and I gave like reasons why we're motivated, but really defining it means kind of looking inward and looking at what the kid is doing. And that's the one thing I feel like most of us as parents don't typically do. And even as teachers, we don't always have the time to do that. Like, what is it that they don't care about? So parents will come in and say, well, he just doesn't seem to care about anything. Well, what is that anything? Define it. Tell me. What is it? And and how do you know it? Like, what are they showing you? And then that sort of opens up a discussion then to sort of talk about lots of other things. Like, where is pleasure in the child's life? What are the parents' expectations? What kind of stressors is the child under? Are there other things that we can do that can help the child feel more motivated because they feel more efficient or more confident, just better at doing what they're doing? What is the most common situation that you're seeing when parents come in? when they're talking about lack of motivation and what they're experiencing as parents. You're saying anecdotally stuff? Let's hear an example of something that just comes up all the time. Okay, so typically what a parent will say is all he does is play video games. That's a typical one. Mm -hmm. Right. For younger kids is I just can't get them to do my homework. That's sort of the typical younger child. As they get older, it really can fall into like they just stopped doing their homework or they're not going to school or so it really can depend. But a typical sort of situation, I always gravitate kind of towards the older student, whereas really this starts younger. But here's a typical situation. A ninth or 10th grader comes into my office. They've sort of given up that parents know they're really capable of doing something and let's say little Brendan comes into my office, not little because now he's bigger. Brendan <laughs> comes into my office. And so they say, you know, all he'll do is video games all day. You know, I'll talk to Brendan. He's like, well, no, I don't just do video d games all day. I also have maybe a an online sneaker store where he sells you sneakers. And the parents are coming to me and saying he's not concentrating on school. He's got to get these great grades to go into college. Maybe Brendan has 
ADHD that's going untreated or he has medication issue that his medication has been changed since fifth grade. Maybe he has a reading disability as well that was well treated, but now he's having some difficulties. He needs a little bit of a, a push in that direction, maybe some tutoring that's going to help him remember all the things he learned when he was younger. But that's sort of a typical, so it's usually a constellation of things. And what lands on my door is just parents just pulling their hair out. So for a child like Brendan, one of the things I would want to say is, well, what does this mean? First of all, I want to do an evaluation. That's sort of my area is I want to evaluate and see what's going on attentionally, academically, executive function wise that we can fix. But that doesn't fix the problem as we know. Like, you know, so we can identify, oh, you have trouble with working memory. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I find in a lot of cases, kids like this mythical Brendan are telling their parents with their behaviors, I don't want to do the things you want me to do. And so that's sort of a child's way, you know, like they're thinking, I don't want to participate in what you want me to participate in. I don't really look forward to going to college, at least not yet. So this is their way of communicating to a parent. This is who I am and you're not seeing me. So that's kind of a typical situation. I think it's pretty common. Yeah. That feels anecdotally very similar. So I'm going to go down this path for a second of the child not being seen by the parents. And this is often a conversation that we have with our clients. So my question to you is, how do we balance acceptance of who the child is in that moment with sometimes parental goals that are out of alignment with who their child is, or maybe the child does want to go to college, but because of all these things that are getting in the way of their motivation, their academic issues, their executive functioning issues, processing issues, whatever, they're probably not going to be ready at 18 or 17 to do it. So how do we sort of balance that you know, in particular with the extremely high functioning parent who has high expectations. So I think there's two things that need to happen is one, parents need to look at their own expectations and then they need to look at their child. So one of the things I talk about in the book are these three different areas. You can imagine these three words as a Venn diagram with one is, is sort of aptitude. Like what is a child good at doing? And another circle being pleasure. What makes the child happy? What does the child do that makes him happy? And then looking at practice, what does the child actually do? So those three things, if you can kind of think of aptitude, pleasure, and practice as being three things that all need to happen together and where you want to be is in that sweet spot. And I find that a lot of times parental expectations are not in sync with who a child actually is, as, as we all know. And I was guilty of it myself as a parent. I mean, I wanted, you know, my kids to go to college. One of them loved college. She did great. And the other one didn't. And I didn't listen to the sort of things that he was saying. It was like, I don't want to go to college. Sometimes a child says it completely. Like, I'm not ready. I'd rather take a year off, that sort of thing. Thinking about what is my child 
good at? What are my child's aptitudes? And sometimes I find that parents are either in one end of the spectrum or the other. One, I've got the parents who think that their child does everything perfectly. And then that child grows up thinking that until they hit a wall and realize I'm not that great. Like I've had kids come to me in third grade and say, I'm going to Harvard or Yale. And that child, when they reach eighth or ninth grade, realize I'm probably not going to, or I might not go to. And then it's sort of like they, they start to give up. They, they lack motivation. So there's that sort of thing. And then the, the other side of the coin are parents who just can't think of anything that their child is good at. So you might, you know, might say, what are they good at? It's like, I don't know. And, and even teachers will say, you know, I just, you know, I'm having trouble even to, even describing what he does well in class. And, and that can be at any age. And so everybody's good at something. And so we've got to define that. And sometimes kids can't find that for themselves. So that's the first piece. Sometimes testing can help. Sometimes it's just really talking to other people. And then also defining aptitudes is more than just reading, math, and spelling. And, you know, we've got to define aptitudes as things like helping others, being socially aware, caring. And and those are the sorts of things we really need to help kids to find like you've got a great sense of humor you've got incredible humility you know you persevere all of those things we need to expand our definition of what an aptitude is those character strengths yeah okay so i have a couple thoughts first of all for me i thought of like three clients when you said they sold sneakers on the side and at Cap at Therapy, we focus on kids with ADHD and executive functioning skills challenges. I am often shocked by entrepreneurship in that population of learners that we work with. I have a lot of kids who have a side hustle, something with sneakers. I don't fully understand it. They get juice out of it. And parents don't ever bring it up with me. It's always the kids who tell me about it. And the expansion of the definition of aptitude is something that really resonates with me too, because I can think of two clients off the top of my head right now that every time I talk to their parents, I say to them, do you understand how likable your child is? He is so likable. I enjoy spending time with him. He makes a terrific first impression. Teachers enjoy him in the classroom. And those are the people that I want to hire. I want to hire people who are like that. And so it's pointing out what is there, but not honored in their kids. And it sort of becomes hopefully a new idea for them. Yes, that absolutely has to happen because a lot of times the kids that we work with don't fit into those nice little cookie cutter things about, you know, good reader, superstar at spelling. And that's not all life is about. You're right. The people we want to be with are people who are likable, who have a good sense of humor, who have, you know, things like gratitude and, you know, kids who have a sense of spirituality, however that's defined. There's so many ways to sort of look at a child and sort of say, okay, you know, he's got this and let's define this. Some kids are just so fun. They've got a sparkle. But you know what I was thinking too is we're defining some, you know, character traits and things that parents might not see in all realms because it's not showing up, but looking at where it's showing up in the things that they do enjoy. So if that means you need to look 
while they're playing video games? Are they helping the underdogs when they're playing in a group setting? Or are they solving problems? Or are they... Are they the leader? Yeah, are they the leader? Like, there's so many things that I think, too, that if we could get curious about that and maybe learn a little bit more about the video games and the community that they have in those games, that maybe if you're having trouble trying to figure out where your child is excelling, those could be some places to look, just throwing it out there. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that sort of brings me to the, the second part. You know, we kind of talked about aptitude, but I think aptitude has to be also looking at pleasure and then also practice. But ple- what you're really talking about is what gives the child pleasure. And, you know, I find so many parents come to me and say, you know, if I ask the question, in fact, it's on my intake form, what do you hope for your child? And almost every one of them says, I want my child to be happy. But happy isn't a goal. Like happy is the result of good goals. So we need to first help them figure out what they want, what gives them pleasure before we could be happy. And we all know too, like life is not filled with happiness. We have happy times, but life is kind of rough in a lot of ways. So I think what exactly what you said, it's very helpful for parents to spend time thinking about what it is that makes their child happy. And it can also be kind of difficult if all it seems like they're doing is playing video games, which in that case, I think a great way to start with, hey, tell me about what you're playing and what are you doing? And I also think another way to find out what makes us happy is to do things like keeping a gratitude journal, keeping a gratitude calendar at the house or as teachers, engaging in things that give you pleasure with your child so you can kind of see, you know, we kind of gauge what it is that they're liking. Kids generally talk about stuff they like doing. And even though kids play a lot of video games, most of them will say it doesn't really give them that much pleasure. So there are aspects of it that do, but a lot of times it's a way to release tension as opposed to get pleasure. Hmm. Not always. They're fun. You know, we have to sort of think about that. So, so sometimes you really think about what gives us pleasure is, well, what are you grateful for? And kids might say things like, my grandma, like I'm grateful that I can spend time with her. Well, that's the kind of child who's great with taking care of others or being there or helping the family dog or caring for others. Like all of these things are things the world needs more of. But it's not graded, Ellen. Nope, it's not. I was just thinking I do goals weekly with one of my clients and one of his goals all the time is walking his dog at least three times a week. It's quality time with his dog. Uh-huh. And that is always Always. And when we check in, did he do it? It was, yeah, oh, I did it five times. Or, you know, it's always something that comes up as one of his weekly goals. And that's a beautiful thing too, Steph, because it's probably a family responsibility too. Mm -hmm. So just sort of like thinking about it from that angle too, of there are these things or these moments that are so precious that we can talk about and experience and sort of let them know, like, you know, why is he choosing that specifically? Like, why does that come to mind every week that that's one of his goals? What is the pleasure from that for sure? Mm. That's the other piece of this too, is to kind of look at what I call practicing, but we usually do things that give us pleasure. We can't just look at what we think our child is 
enjoying, but what are they enjoying and what are they doing? Mm -hmm. And so that's something generally when we're practicing something and practicing walking a dog is just think about the executive function skills it takes to walk the dog, to plan. All of those things are not things we tend to think of as skills, but they're really important. There's the skills that child will be using when he's 75 years old walking his dog. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a lifelong habit right? I wish we could teach parents task analysis because they don't. It's a skill that we have learned as educational therapists, but it's not part of the vernacular of parenting. And task analysis, meaning looking at all the things that it takes and what we do in order to do a task. Like what are we really practicing and doing and getting out of it? How we always, for example, say writing is not really about writing. It's entirely executive functioning and skills and organizing thoughts and retaining thoughts and recalling thoughts and holding on to the prompt of what you're asked to write about and holding on to the mechanics of writing. All of that is all encompassed in writing and the task analysis are all those other components. Mm -hmm. Continuing on. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not something that we tend to look at in our kids because we tend to have our particular goals in mind that are of what we want our child to accomplish. So you wrote something in the book that really resonated with me, which is there isn't a treatment for laziness. Everybody who listens to the podcast know how we feel about the word lazy, but I would love it if you could chat a little bit more about that idea. I think we said this at the beginning today. Nobody wants to be lazy. No one enjoys it. If we are chronically lazy, there is a reason for that. And I don't like that word either. And like I see papers come home from kids where the teacher will say lazy because they didn't spell something right. And we use this word as like you weren't concentrating hard enough or you were just being lazy. I hear parents say it at least once a week in my office, usually dads, but it's usually the non-primary parent. Yeah, because it's so frustrating when you know a child has an ability and they don't reach it. And I think that is kind of a loss for parents. That's the burden of potential. It is. When I hear a parent say my child's lazy, and believe it, believe me, I have children too. They're grown now, but there are plenty of times when I thought you're just being lazy, like clean up your room. I know. I hope I never said it, but I'm sure I, I know I thought <laughs> it. But, you know, and sometimes we are, we just don't feel like doing something. But if a child is chronically what looks like lazy, it's a symptom of something or they're trying to tell you something. And it's a time to listen actually and not speak. And it's a time to sort of say, I notice you are having trouble finishing this. I noticed that you told me you wanted to do this and you haven't followed through. What's happening here? Those are the sort of questions that we need to do. We need to use those behaviors as a way of starting a conversation and not having our own goals for the conversation interfere with what we're hearing. Say that last part again. Yeah. You know, if we say to a child, well, why aren't you doing this? And they're giving us an answer that we don't like. We've got to work with what they give us. You know, and sometimes kids will be right on the money. You'll say, you know, why aren't you turning in the homework? And sometimes it's as simple as I forgot. Sometimes it's shame. Sometimes laziness is really shame or it's guilt about what they've done 
or it's feeling incompetent that they can't do it. So they'd rather just not start it at all. And all of those things are really important to be tangibly dealt with. And that's the thing that I think we don't get our hands dirty in when we're thinking about a child who's lazy. We don't really look at this as as kind of an emotional reaction to something. It's a reaction to a lack of productivity. Right. As opposed to, there's a reason for this. And if I can't do something or I'm unmotivated for something, I've got to figure out, well, maybe this is something I don't want to do. Then I have to decide, well, does it need to be done? Then I've got to find the motivation. And that happens with kids all the time. Or if I want to do it and I'm not, it might mean that I'm not confident enough or I need support or I need to talk to someone about it. We just jump right from he's not doing it to he's going to be a failure and he'll never get into college and life is over. And I've heard those sorts of things in kids as young as seven. Wow. Ellen, do you want to talk about you use the word malaziness? I loved that. Oh, yeah, I almost looked at it. Yeah, I thought that was a really like interesting just little tidbit. So when I was trying to figure out a good focus for this book, because generally I was just like, there's a bunch of kids who just don't seem to care about much of anything. And I don't know what I'm really talking about here, what I'm really defining. A parent friend of mine said, oh, my kid is just like that. I kind of think of him as malaise. So I stole his word, which he said was fine. <laughs> so malaise is sort of like that crossroads between malaise. It's like, eh, I don't know. I don't really feel like doing much of anything. And that sort of appearance of being lazy, sort of like this parent kind of knew that, all right, well, it seems like a bit of malaise, but really to me, it looks like lazy. So that's where, we, where he came up with this word that I stole from him. And I think it's that, Again, intersection between, I don't really know what's going on for my kid. He doesn't seem to care much about anything. And I have to say, too, that in lots of parents who have kids who are malaise, they either fall into two camps. Like I was saying about other things, too. There does seem to be kind of a dichotomy in this whole area. Parents who are like super stressed out. My child seems we'll use the word malaise. I don't know what to do. Anxious all the time on the homework help thing on the internet, looking up the assignments every week. And then their parents are like, I've just given up. I just can't. And so those parents themselves sometimes refer to themselves as kind of malaise. I've given up. So I love that word. It's a really good word to sort of define something that's really doesn't feel like fits anything in particular. But it's very clever, which is definitely why I thought it was good that you brought it up. I can't take complete credit for it because it was in a discussion with a friend <laughs> who's, who happens to be a writer. So he came up with this himself. So Yeah, it's a good one. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to continue this conversation in next week's episode, episode 253. And we're going to have a really good Patreon that'll come out next week as well. So we can't wait for you to join us there. And in the meantime, thanks so much, Ellen, and have a great week, Smarties.